Welcome to the evening episode of Honey in the Rock. We hope you've had a great day and we've got a great show ahead for you. Stick with us. This evening's episode is titled, What Hath My Beloved to Do in Mine House? This shall be focused on the study of Jeremiah chapter 11. Before we go any further, we'll begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Your Word, to see the judgments, Lord, that You're pronouncing on Your people, because they refuse to obey Your Word. Help us, Father, to have the same reverence for Your Word, and to know, Father, that to obey it is life, and to not obey it is death. So, Father, we forsake our will, we forsake our ideas, we forsake all, and we follow Your leading. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Up next, we shall listen to Jeremiah chapter 11. Jeremiah 11 The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Hear ye the words of this covenant, and speak unto the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Cursed be the man that obeyeth not the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice, and do them according to all which I command you. So shall ye be my people, and I will be your God. That I may perform the oath which I have sworn unto your fathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. Then answered I, and said, So be it, O Lord. Then the Lord said unto me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah, and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear ye the words of this covenant, and do them. For I earnestly protested unto your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, even unto this day, rising early and protesting, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked every one in the imagination of their evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did them not. And the Lord said unto me, A conspiracy is found among the men of Judah, and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Then shall the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go, and cry unto the gods unto whom they offer incense but they shall not save them at all in the time of their trouble. For according to the number of thy cities were thy gods, O Judah, and according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem have ye set up altars to that shameful thing, even altars to burn incense unto Baal. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry or prayer for them for I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. 
What hath my beloved to do in mine house, seeing she hath wrought lewdness with many, and the holy flesh is passed from thee? When thou doest evil, then thou rejoicest. The Lord called thy name a green olive tree, fair and of goodly fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, he hath kindled fire upon it, and the branches of it are broken. For the Lord of hosts that planted thee hath pronounced evil against thee, for the evil of the house of Israel, and of the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves, to provoke me to anger in offering incense unto Baal. And the Lord hath given me knowledge of it, and I know it. Then thou showest me their doings. But I was like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter, and I knew not that they had devised devices against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be no more remembered. But, O Lord of hosts, that judgest righteously, that triest the reins in the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I revealed my cause. Therefore thus saith the Lord of the men of Anathoth, that seek thy life, saying, Prophesy not in the name of the Lord, that thou die not by our hand. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword, their sons and their daughters shall die by famine, and there shall be no remnant of them, for I will bring evil upon the men of Anathoth, even the year of their visitation. Up next, we shall listen to a sermon by Reverend William Burnham titled, God's Covenant with Abraham and His Seed. This was preached in 1956 on February the 23rd. We'll begin at paragraph 6 up to paragraph 27. I trust you find it to be a blessing. See, so today I was reading in the scripture, and I thought it would be wonderful to try to, to get the, the church, you know, to some real good things of the Bible that we would understand. So we're going to speak tonight about God's covenant with Abraham and his seed. And for a, a starting in the scripture, which we may refer to many, we want to start in Genesis, the 12th chapter. And beginning with the first verse. And the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and multiply thee greatly. And I want you to notice now that God said in here, and I, I will. Now, when God, as we were speaking last evening, he made a covenant, a joint covenant with the children of, with uh, our first parent, the Eden covenant, it was uh, a conditional covenant. God, when he spoke to to Adam and blessed Adam, and he made a covenant between he and Adam. If Adam would do a certain thing, he would do a certain thing. And then we find that Adam 
broke his promise to God. And man always breaks their promise to God. We break our promise to each other. So we're just in a category here, as we said last night, God is infant and his mind is infant and we are finite, so we can't we cannot comprehend what the great things are of God. Only if it was, we'd know as much as he does. But we do not try to know what he knows. We just accept what he said by faith. It doesn't no man can know God at all otherwise than by faith. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, in the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. One of them, say, on the right side was the tree of life. On the left side was the tree of knowledge. And as long as man eat from the tree of life, which is faith, he lived. But the first bite he took off the tree of knowledge, he separated himself from his fellowship with God. You see it? And notice then, in separating himself, he continually bites off of that tree, continually eating from that tree. Then he's brought it into his, try to mix that knowledge with fellowship with God. And God never made a man by his knowledge to know him. And all the knowledge we have will never understand God. God is knowing by one element, that's faith. God put man in five senses to contact his earthly home. See, taste, feel, smell, and hear. Those are to contact the earthly home, but none of those are to contact God. He's a, a man is the makeup of a triune being, soul, body, and spirit. A trinity in a man. It was like God was a trinity in a man. Notice, but man is a trinity. Soul, body, and spirit. And now, in his body, he has five senses to contact his earthly home, but he has two senses of his spirit. And one of them is unbelief, which is of the devil, and the other is faith, which is of God. Now, unbelief can do nothing for you but damn you. That's all it can do is destroy you. And faith is the only thing that can help you. See? So faith, unbelief, if there's no value in unbelief at all, and unbelief accompanies fear. See? Unbelief accompanies fear. When you go to reasoning and wandering, see, then you begin to fear. I said some time ago, if, my, if I was in a death cell and was to die in the morning by the governor of the state was putting me to death in the morning, Fear wouldn't do me any good at all. The lady sitting here sick. I guess she has a pillow laying by her. Now, she's a sick person. She's probably come to hear the word and maybe to be healed. Now, all the fear you would have, sister, would do you no good at all. Fear has not one value to it, so discard it. You say, well, Brother Brandon, if you just go die in the morning, governor done signed your death, uh, what would a faith do any good? Faith can sign my pardon. But fear will never do it. <laughs> See? Uh, use, so if fear is no good at all, no value in it, let's discard the thing altogether. And let's have faith and believe God. So it's by faith we know God, not by knowledge. Now, with all due respect to our great schools and seminaries and teaching and, and our degrees and so forth, they're wonderful. But all of those without 
faith is no good. No matter how much you know of God, you've got to know God personally. Now, and then when God saw the weakness of man and how that he broke his covenant with him in the Garden of Eden, then if you notice, God making the covenant of the coming of Christ, he never included anyone in. He said, I, and I is a personal pronoun, I will put enmity between thy seed and the serpent's seed. Unconditionally. You see it? Unconditionally, God said, I will. In other words, send the Savior. Not now, Adam, if you'll do a certain thing out here, well, we'd have never had a Savior because Adam would have never done it. But he said, I will. And when God says, I will, it's already done. Now, I believe that God in the beginning, now I realize I'm in a school also besides the church, and if my teaching happened to contrary something is taught here, discard it. Thing. We don't bring that for, or say these things for that. But look, just like eating cherry pie. Well, I, I love cherry pie. And I imagine I have a lot of sympathizers out there, too, or, or fellow citizens of the same uh, gastronomic feeling. As I, I, uh, I love cherry pie, but when I'm eating cherry pie, when I eat a seed, I don't throw the pie away. I throw the seed away. <laughs> when I'm eating fried chicken, I don't, when I hit the bone, I don't throw the chicken away. I just throw the bone away. So you do the same thing when I'm teaching. If it's contrary to your faith or the Word of God, then you throw that away and take what you think is right. So just uh, that'll be fair enough. Now, I believe that, uh, I do not believe that Satan is a creator. I believe that Satan is a perverter, but not a creator. Because God is the only one who can create. And in the beginning, when he became a co-partner to God, the Son of the morning, and so forth, when he walked up and down the fiery brimstone, and so forth, that when Satan perverted good to evil, you know what pervert to do anything? Married life is, is, a, is of God. The Bible said that married life is of God. The bed is undefiled. But prostitution and illegal, that's perverted. And look at the whole mind of the American people, and the peoples of the world, is gradually becoming so perverted till it's just become even the radio and television. It's all one big conglomeration of sin because the hearts of man call for that. Every intention of a man's heart, just like it was before the Andalusia destruction, every, con every desire of man is becoming continually evil. If I just had a few weeks, I'd like to preach on the second coming of the Lord for two or three nights. And just for the scriptures and by scientific proof can prove to you that we're right at the junction right now. That's right. I don't know just what time. No one knows, but we're close. And it behooves the church to set up and take notice of these things. You people that's come so far along the road, be ready for an hour that you think not, then he comes. Not in time of, of poverty stricken, but in a time of plenty, in a time you think not, see, he'll come. Now, notice, God, when Satan done this evil thing, here's what I think of God, that he knew right 
then what would be the entire plan that he would use to bring man back to himself again when the thing was uh, first produced before the foundation of the world. And if you notice over in Revelations, he said the beast that would come up on the earth would deceive all those whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. When were they written? From the foundation of the world. Now, Jesus didn't come to Calvary just for a haphazard thought. Well, I'll die up there, and perhaps maybe somebody will feel sorry for me and, and come down and get saved. No, no. God don't run his office like that. You don't run your office like that. Jesus come for one specific purpose. That was to redeem those that God foreknew would be redeemed. See? Now, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But in order to be God, he had to know. Now, the word predestinate, as is used in Ephesians 1, 5, predestinate there isn't a good word. It means, and speaking of predestination to the people, sometimes leads them to think that God just predestinated you to push you through a little pipe or something. That's not right. Predestination looks back to foreknowledge, and foreknowledge looks to destiny. Therefore, God, being God before the foundation of the world, knew that who would be saved and who would not. Romans 8, he could say that he hated Esau and loved Jacob before either child was born. For by foreknowledge, he knew what a little shyster that that Esau would be and how he would save Jacob. So therefore, by foreknowledge, God knew those things. See? Foreknowledge. So then, look now, I'm basing something, which we had about three or four hours on this one subject, but we haven't. We just have to hit the high places. And notice, now by foreknowledge, God knew, and he did Say that there will be a church. Now I'm talking right up to the age of eternal security here. I do believe in eternal security in this way. I believe that the church has eternal security. And as long as you're in the church, you are secured with the church. Yes? As long as you are in the church, you are secured with the church. You get it? Now, then how do we get into the church? By joining? No. By one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Not Methodist, not Baptist, not Pentecostal, but by one spirit. First Corinthians 12, we're all baptized into one fellowship. And in there, as long as we're... In this fellowship, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us continually. God, looking through the red as we had last night, sees you as a red sinner, but sees you white through red. Then, God foreknowing, and there will be, the church is going to be, whether you are in it or I am in it, it will appear before God without spot or without wrinkle. God done said so, and that settles it forever. Uh, he never said, in this church will be William Branham. He said the church would be there. And she would be a glorious church, washed in the blood, ironed out, 
and will be without spot or wrinkle. Now it's up to me whether I want to stay in that church or not. Not he didn't say he would he would uh, predestinate me, and I'd be sure to be there. But he gave me the assurance that if I was with this group, I would be there. Or if I was in Christ Jesus, which is the bride, I would be there. Now that brings us down to election. Now, now God by foreknowledge could set election. Therefore, when he uh, called Abraham, who was Abraham? Abraham was no more than any other man. He came down from Babylon with his father and uh, his wife, Sarah, which was his half-sister. And he dwelt in the city of Ur and the uh, plains uh, and the valley of Shinar there. And supposedly of a morning he went out and picked some berries and eat them. At noon he went into the bush and killed meat and uh, lived a pretty long life they did in those days with the... Uh, the way his diet was considered and everything, and they did live a long life. But notice, Abraham was no different from no one else, but God, by election, called Abraham. For he was no more than anyone else. Now watch, the four patriarchs. Abraham is justification. We'll stay two weeks on that. Or Abraham, I beg your pardon, Abraham is election. Isaac represents justification. Jacob, grace, anyone knows that. Jacob, grace. And Joseph, perfection. Election, justification, and grace and perfection. Not on all against Joseph anywhere. But now Abraham was called of God by election or foreknowledge, knowing that Abraham would walk before God. And that's the only reason tonight, by the same way. How many Christians are here? Let's see your hands. All over the building, everywhere. Why are you a Christian? Because God elected you. Amen. I hope you see this. God said, Jesus said, No man can come to the Father except by me. And no man cometh unto me except the Father draws him first. Is that right? So if the Father has drawn you, it's God's foreknowledge of election. And all that comes unto me, I'll give him everlasting life, and we'll raise him up at the last day. God gave the promise. What you worried about? Now, notice just a moment. Now we see in the election that God calling Abraham, and notice the first thing when God calls a man, he calls for total separation from the world. Separate yourself, Abraham, as soon as he got his call. Now here it is. Every Christian in here that's born again, when God called you, called for total separation. If he didn't, you got the wrong call. See? God doesn't make any difference between his children. Every son that cometh to God must first be tried or chastised. You get it? First be tried or chastened. Corrected, child trained, schooled, 
Everyone, not one exception, every son. Have you went through trials? Have you went through tribulations? Have you suffered persecution? Then you do these things. You are real children of God. But when you can't bear chastisement, when the rod comes down heavy and you run off and back into the world, the Bible said you're illegitimate children and not the children of God. For when a man's born of the Spirit of God, he expects those things and he loves those things. And the Bible said that the trials that come up on us, fire trials, is more precious than gold to us. Think of it. So you see these with these ups and downs, they've never been there at the first place. See? They're just a make-believe. Amen. Salvation is for believers. Not unbelievers or make-believers. It's for true, genuine believers. And it's not a case of law and God's going to make you do something. It's because you love to do it. When I leave my wife to come on this trip, I don't have to say, Now, looky here, Mrs. Branham, you are a married woman. Thou shalt not have any husbands before thee while I am gone. Yet thou shalt not do this and do that. And she turned right around with the law to me as a married woman and said, Now, Billy, you not have any more wives before you while you're gone. No, that's not the idea. This is a love affair. I, I go to her and I say, Sweetheart, the Lord calls me to go preach the gospel, kiss her goodbye, say, Pray for me, honey. God bless you. Away we go. I don't think nothing about home and whether she's doing this or that. Neither does she because we love one another. And as long as we love one another like that, don't worry. It'll be all right. And if I serve Christ just to escape hell, hard to tell what I'll do. But if I love him, well, I wouldn't do nothing against my poor little wife or nothing in the world. Bless her heart. I, I, I love her. I do everything I can to please her. Sometimes I go home from overseas and I'll get a, a strange little thing, you know, a little trinket that she likes, and I'll take it to her. I won't say nothing about it for a long time. Oh, I carry it in my arms. I won't stand up for the plane because I'm afraid to get broke. See, and I love to come to her and surprise her and say, Sweetheart, look at here. Oh, she said, Billy, my, oh, I'm so happy. See, that makes me feel good. See, I love her. Now, that's the way you serve God. Not because, well, I ought to take my Bible tonight and go down to John's house. He don't know enough about the Lord. I ought to go down there. But I tell you, oh, Christian life is so hard. Oh, you don't love God. You've never been born again. When you love Him, you love to go do something for Him, to bring in souls to Him. It isn't a duty. It's a love affair. Amen. I hope that goes way down to the fifth rib on the left side and anchors there and stays. See it? It's a love affair. You love to do it. If you love your, your wife, you love to do something for her. Now, that kind of love, you can't have that same type of love for Jesus. As the Greek word put it, one is called a filial love and the other is a gospel love. Now, filial love and a gospel love, as we've said, is two different things. But when you divinely love Christ, like you love uh, 
your wife, only it'll be a greater, higher level than this is down here. Oh, don't worry. You'll be about the Father's business trying to win souls and pray for the sick and do everything you can. Because you love Him. You want to please Him. Oh, you thank God. I know where He's a Father. I believe I can lead to you. And a way you'll go and talk to Him in a nice way. How to do John? I uh, won't talk to you tonight about going fishing. Yes, I Oh, I love to fish. Talk fishing to him for a while. Talk about his chickens or whatever farming he's going to do for a while. Until God opens up the way and gives you a chance to send home the gospel. Then when you win that soul, you present it before the Father. Like I said, I did the little present to my wife. Here, Father. With happiness you do it because you love it. Not a duty, but a love. As we get towards the end of this episode, we'll end with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. For you said, heavens and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. We pray, Father, may your word take root in our lives and in our souls and become flesh, Father. And may it take preeminence and that, Father, our thoughts and our ideas might be sidetracked for you, Lord, to accomplish your purpose in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We hope to continue to earn your viewership throughout the year as we read the Bible from cover to cover. To make this a better listening experience for you, we'd really appreciate your feedback. So please email us at honeyintherock2020 at gmail.com. We also have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please follow us, share our pages, and subscribe. Now we'll leave you with the parting song. God richly bless you. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Teach me thy way. Thy guiding grace afford, teach me thy way, help me to walk aright, less by sight, more by faith, lead me with heavenly light, teach me thy way when doubts and fears arise teach me thy way when clouds o'erspread the skies teach me thy way shine Make thou my pathway plain, teach me thy way. Long as my life shall last, teach me thy way. Where'er my lot be cast, teach me Until the race is 
journey's done Until my crown is won Teach me thy way Until the race is run Until the journey is done Until my crown